Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, as always, we will thank our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce, the title sponsor of this podcast. They make uh, game reviews, game previews, and all the other things that we try to do possible. Thank them for their support, as always. And uh, we'll spend the vast majority of this podcast previewing the NC State game, and also we'll try to get into five or ten minutes of a ancillary conversation about uh, the athletic director position and budgeting that hopefully people will find interesting and informative. But uh, it's an early morning recording of the Nolcast, so let's uh, jump straight into it and do our best to give people an idea as to what they might see on Saturday, 3.30 as Florida State travels to Raleigh. Indeed, uh, a game televised on ABC and uh, current line NC State by eight and a half and over under of 53. So kind of one of the three games we identified you, you could win and uh, you need to take two of those three, assuming that you're not going to pull a miracle at Notre Dame in in, uh, in a week. Uh, so this is an important game for Florida State. Very interested to see where their heads, you know, kind of where, where their heads are at, right? Like we talked about this last week before the blowout to Clemson, and we did think Clemson would kill those guys, and they did. Maybe not, we didn't think by seven touchdowns, but maybe by five uh, or four. You know, is this team going to be ready to play? You know, do, are, are they... Are they going like like are they, are they going to be looking their wounds still, or are they going to be up and, and, and ready for a challenge? Because they're they're definitely going to have a challenge here in NC State, man. It's a very good team uh, overall. Uh, not great, certainly not uh, resemblant of uh, the team that you saw last Saturday. But it's a team that we had legitimate concerns of during the summer and kind of going into the year as far as some of the matchups and what some of their strengths might be with Florida State's potential weaknesses. And um, obviously, Florida State has been the victim of uh, attrition and maybe an overall level of play that wasn't otherwise projected. So not as though this is a, a newfound concern with some of the things that NC State does well, particularly what they do on offense. They have a uh, either the best or probably the second best quarterback in the conference and a, uh, a set of receivers that are very much familiar with, with what they want to do. So I guess we'll start this podcast by looking at how uh, Florida State's defense matches up with a uh, very talented NC State offense. Yeah, uh, so NC State, there are some they, they kind of operate out of a multiple spread. It's a lot of shotgun, occasionally under center. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that they're not using the tight end as much this year, or, or when they do, they, they don't seem to throw to him a whole lot. So that'll be a good scouting point unless they try to break some tendency, and then it won't. Uh, but uh, they, they've been very consistent on the year. 75th percentile performances uh, in all games uh, except for their one against Clemson. And, in fact, 86th percentile performance in all games uh, in, in four of their last five, that, that one obviously being Clemson. They're more efficient then they are explosive. So it's more shorter gains. They don't seem to have the huge breakout plays, but like they're, but, but they do move the chains very well. Um, and they don't generally, well, they're not as good as some teams, 81st nationally, at finishing off drives in the red zone. So, so they, they do settle for some field goals. They, they will occasionally stall down there. And I, I think that makes sense kind of when you consider their offensive attack Right, they you know they once things get down into a kind of a compressed area, some of the shorter passes are a little bit harder to hit, and uh, and this is a team Ingram that does not run the ball very well. It's been uh, when you look at their consistency, I think it's made even all the more remarkable by the fact that they don't run the ball very well. Uh, they're not a, a not had much success establishing the run at all. They very much rely upon uh, Finley, the quarterback, and. Uh, being able to get the ball off in an exceptional uh, quick manner and, and as he gets the ball off in a fast manner also makes pretty great decisions with uh, with the ball. So uh, passing game, I believe, is a is a top 10. I think it's six in the country. And the running game is uh, somewhere around 90th to give you an idea as to uh, kind of the yin and the yang and the, the strength and the weakness uh, uh, of what NC State does on offense. Yeah, that's a huge split. 90th and 6th is not something we normally see. Uh, and, and generally, you would, you don't see that because typically if an offensive line is – well, like generally the, the, you're going to see like a, a band of maybe 20 or 30 spots, not 84 spots. Uh, but that's that's what they have. 
Man, Ryan Finley is great as a college quarterback. I don't know about him as a pro, but we're not really covering pro football. We're covering college football. And as a college quarterback, he does a great job. He gets the ball out extremely quick. This guy is is damn near impossible to sack. You know, they're second in the nation in the sack rate allowed. Only 1.5% of his dropbacks have resulted in sacks. And it's not because he's crazy athletic. I mean, he's not like totally unathletic, but he's not like he's a lot closer to a statue than he is to Michael Vick. And it's just, it, it's, it's remarkable how quickly he gets the ball. The ball comes out on time and it comes out accurately. I mean, he 67% completions, dude. Makes, uh, he makes good decisions. He makes quick decisions. And, uh, NC state's been fantastic. Uh, in just about every measure that you can, uh, in just about every facet that you can measure from the offensive uh, statistical standpoint, but they are exceptional in passing downs. They have uh, uh, they feature a tight end some, not as much as they did last year, but kind of their their biggest or their most uh, prominent big threat uh, to stretch the field and uh, gain chunks of yards at a time is is probably Kelvin Harmon. Yeah, he does a good job getting down the field. Still a big guy, can can, can match match up physically. He's a guy they'll look to target in the red zone as well. But 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 he's their only guy who they throw to consistently who has double-digit yards uh, per target, which is a pretty good stat to look at if, if you're looking for some explosiveness, but also a, a consistency set. So that, that's the guy they look to go to the most, uh, 72 targets through, I think, seven games. So, yeah, they're throwing the ball like – eight, nine, ten times a game, and that, that's a lot. You know, one thing I've identified here with, with NC State that Florida State's going to need to do is get their hands up, right? Finley has kind of a little three-quarter motion at times. Sometimes the ball can come out kind of flat, and it's so hard to get to him pass rush-wise. At Florida State this week is going to have to rep a lot in practice, and I assume they've done this, uh, of get their hands up, right? M- make sure that you can bat down some passes so that you, you get some incompletions that way because it's going to be hard to stop them otherwise. And you can't rely on, on just getting to Finley and, and, and trying to sack him. On cer- certainly on some downs, yes, you can. But on like on first down, second down, if you realize you're not going to get to him and, and you see him pull up the throw, the hands have got to go up. You've got to clog the passing lanes. So one thing that's worth uh, noting here is and we talk about uh, the fact that they – make quick decisions and uh, the smart decisions and how hard it is to to ultimately bring the quarterback to the ground in this offense. Uh, just because they're making quick decisions, maybe uh, we should delineate here that they're not necessarily a, a tempo team. They will show some tempo, by no means the, the almost laughable pace that Wake Forest tries to run or, or even necessarily what Clemson does, but they do – have an element of it there. Uh, hasn't been something that they featured a ton this year, uh, but it's a it's kind of a I don't know if I'd call it methodical, but it is a it's a average to above average paced offense that uh, tends to make really good decisions and, and tends to uh, not beat itself at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, compared to to the last two teams you faced, Wake, Wake Forest, one of the fastest teams in the nation, and Clemson can really ramp it up too. Under Trevor, and I think Clemson will start going even faster. By the way, now that they're they're kind of settling into their offense, man, I, going back and watching that FSU game, this is not the Clemson cast, but but Clemson looks really good. And I looked at some of the look ahead lines this week in Vegas just for for you know giggles. And uh, you know, Bama was a, a double digit favorite over everybody in the nation earlier this year on the hypothetical look-ahead lines that you can bet if, if those matchups were, were to materialize. Now, Bama's only a six-point favorite over Clemson. That That's quite the move, and, and I think it's an accurate move. I, I If you gave me 10 points in Clemson against Bama, I would take that all day. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, but 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 six, I, I, I got to hesitate a little bit. I, I, I might I might take the tide on that. You're right. They, they don't show a ton of tempo. I would expect that they will try to run some tempo, in this game because of, of, of how Florida State, you know, str- struggled with it against Wake early on with, with some of their substitution stuff. I'm also interested here 
How do they play in Florida State's defensive line? Because in looking at their schedule, there is a real interesting kind of trend here that you can ID. James Madison, Georgia State, Marshall, Virginia, Boston College, Clemson, Syracuse. One of these things is not like the other, defensive line-wise. Now, they've, they've played a lot better offenses than Florida State has, but from a defensive line perspective of their opponents, it's kind of like Clemson, enormous drop-off, everybody else. right? Like BC D-line this year is not great. Virginia D-line's okay. Syracuse D-line is actually decent, but still. And Clemson's the one defense that really gave these guys a lot of trouble. Now, part of that is because they were playing from behind almost immediately, so you know they, it kind of had to be more one-dimensional. But but I am interested to see what kind of impact Florida State's defense can have, especially up front against these guys, if they can if they can give Finley uh, some trouble. And I think a key a key piece in this is going to be pass rush up the middle. So Marvin Wilson, Demarcus Christmas, Corey Durden are going to have to do a good job of of getting pressure in Finley's face. He's not a guy that you can get with the defensive ends very much because he steps up into the pocket so well. And NC State on the offensive line does have pretty good size, so they generally have, have an area for him to step up, almost like a Texas Tech you know, type quarterback would. That generally, you don't sack those guys with your defensive ends. If you're going to get them, you usually get them by getting pressure in their face. That's going to be very important for Florida State in this game I'm also kind of curious as to how much FSU blitzes. Because the ball gets out so quick, I think they need to be selective with their blitzing. Um, I'm not saying don't blitz at all. That's not who they are. But 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 you, you can't blitz indiscriminately. You need to be smart and selective about when you blitz in this game. Completely agree. I think uh, another kind of broader macro conversation about the defense will be, uh, and ultimately we'll be able to apply this to every aspect of the team, but who exactly is impacted by this idea that uh, either kids didn't give optimal effort or maybe a coaching staff is slightly more oriented towards a, a youth movement? Um, again, this is something that we can apply and and look for at every aspect of the game. But what's uh, what's the defense look like for Florida State? Who's sitting? Maybe who doesn't get the minutes that they would have otherwise or who has uh, throughout the rest of the season? And uh, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty telling, and it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the ultimate unit looks like that goes out and faces uh, NC State and Raleigh. Yeah, so like, is, is Dontavious Jackson going to play with, with, with his ribs injury? And Levante Taylor's not not been seen at practice during the open period for the last couple of days, and, and we record this on Thursday morning. So if he's out there today, obviously we won't know at the time of recording. But there'll be some interesting senior guys and upperclassmen guys to watch here. Uh, you know, is is Cyrus Fagan playing much? How much is Kyle Myers playing? I, I think you'll definitely start to see more playing time for Asante Samuel, regardless, simply because of uh, of, of Levante's uh, injury. Assuming that's why that's why he's missed practice. But yeah, that's going to be very interesting to watch and and to see how they mix and match personnel. Again, I don't blame Coach Taggart for not saying who's going to be out because I don't think that's fair to the guys who are playing to allow the opponent to specifically game plan for, for an FSU defense that might have a couple guys out. So just, you know, keeping that in mind. Trying to think what else here. Keys. I I think, by the way, if you can play man coverage on these guys, that, that can certainly help some because Finley is so good at, at quickly identifying holes in the zone, you know, that, that if you're able to, to, to play some man which Florida State, I think, does better than some of the opponents on this schedule. Like, BC is not going to play man. You know, Virginia is a, primarily a zone team. I think Clemson can play man. Syracuse, mm, some, but, but you know, they, 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 they still gave up 41. And, uh, and Syracuse won that game because they, gave, you know, they, they scored 51 <laughs> uh, by themselves. So, we should talk about – we mentioned how consistent NC State's offense is. And one other thing that's very consistent – is the great service you get at the For the Table Restaurant Group family of restaurants, Madison Social, Central, and Township. Everybody had a great time there over the weekend, had some Nolcast Bloody Marys, some, some For the Table Bloody Marys, great burger, awesome breakfast food over at Township. And uh, you guys needed to go and check check them out as well. Just, just a, a really great group and, and now a, a multi-season sponsor 
of ours, and, and we're very appreciative for their continued support. And uh, we know people love supporting businesses that are null owned. Well said, sir. We will uh, transition to looking at how uh, Florida State's offense matches up with uh, NC State's defense. It's a, uh, again, it's almost a, uh, not an exact mirroring, but a, uh, a unit that's exceptionally uh, strong against the run and, and is one of the weaker units against the pass. So you're looking at a defense that's ranked 10th against the run and 92nd against the pass. You know what I'm thinking? What in the world do NC State's practices look like? Like, does every pass play in practice go for a touchdown and every run play get stuffed for zero? Like, their their run game is 90th and their run defense is 10th. And their pass defense is 92nd and their passing offense is 6th. I, I want to go watch an NC State practice. This like, I mean, dude, <laughs> this has got to be hilarious. You're like, oh, another 75-yard <laughs> touchdown off a four-yard pass. It, it, you just don't see splits like this. This is pretty wild. So they're, um, you know, they have some pieces of talent there and some individual players, but overall, um, better, you know, better on drives or excuse me, better on downs in which they can more easily dictate things to you. I'm sure that's probably the case for every defense in the country. Um, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a team that you have to keep honest, that you can't just let kind of pin their ears back and, and come at you as far as uh, uh, situations that dictate uh, what you can do or what they dictate to you. They're better on uh, on longer distances and downs. And, um, well, they're, they've had a couple issues the past couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm almost hesitant to mention that because I, it's not as though Florida State necessarily pairs a uh, – a group that is able to execute at uh, at the level that uh, at least one of those teams that they've seen. So I know it's real easy to look at the overall points that they've given up and and uh, some of the troubles that they've had over the past two weeks in general. But that's uh, you know I'm not breaking anybody's heart to inform them that that's not the Florida State offense and uh, that's not a a unit that's going to be able to to posit uh, half of the challenges that uh, that Clemson and, and others have. Hey, do uh, you know Florida State's offense actually improved in the rankings after their game against Clemson somehow? I did not know that, and that is, uh, that's almost sad to me, but yeah. They were like 113th, I think, and, and now they're – weren't they like 113th or something? Uh, and now they're 111. So, uh, baby steps. Thank you. Baby uh, steps. I'm guessing that's almost exclusively based off a uh, pass to Keyshawn Helton in the fourth quarter, but uh, we'll, we'll take it as it comes. I, I, I think so. Um so yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting there. Um, now looking looking at at this matchup, how does Florida State attack this? Or more accurately, we should probably ask first: How will NC State try to attack Florida State? I would do the exact same thing that Clemson did, and uh, and that you know Miami tried to do for a little bit, and that is see if you can play everybody back, stop the run with with, with just your front six by physically whipping Florida State's offensive line and then tackle the short stuff and see if Florida State can consistently execute the short stuff. Basically, just create a numbers advantage because you are overcoming your numbers disadvantage at the point of attack with just sheer physical whipping, which I think that's what they'll be able to do. That's what I would do, and I I think they can do it because Florida State's offensive line it's not technique. These guys just aren't good, and they don't have the physical strength or quickness, basically, uh, to hold up. And look, I know that this is a there's a certain portion of the media and a large portion of the fan base that is very tired of saying the same thing or hearing the same thing every week, and so they invent other things which are less true to talk about as far as team problems. We, however, will not ignore the nail in the middle of the forehead, right, as long as it's still there. The number one problem facing this team right now is that the offensive line can't block anybody. Anybody. Period. I don't think that's going to change the next four weeks. So next four weeks, too, you're going to hear us say, guess what? We expect the offensive line to get their ass kicked up front in this game. And that largely dictates 
how the game will go. I don't care if it's boring. It's still true. It's still the number one thing you think about when you're trying to figure out, can Florida State win a game? Because this offensive line is by far the worst in the league. It's one of the worst in the Power Five. I'm not going to say it's the worst in D1 because there are you know all kinds of teams in D1 like New Mexico, New Mexico State, you know uh, San Jose State, Eastern Michigan type teams that that I feel like Florida State's offensive line probably is better than. But this group is terrible, and NC State has the strength and speed up front to whip them, and I think they will, uh, which is why I took NC State in in my picks column by the way. So if NC State is able to play Florida State like that, that's going to force FSU to be very accurate underneath. Um, we'll see you know, if, if they can keep NC State honest with the run, hopefully, but NC State's a very good run defense team. And, uh, and, and I don't, if I'm NC State, I don't give Florida State the deep shots. And if I'm Florida State, I try for them. I try to use screens and, and quick game early on, much like we said they would try to do against Clemson. Uh, and early on, they had some stuff working. I liked Florida State's game plan against Clemson until the team started to panic and collapse, uh, which is, you know, hey, 2015 and 2016 recruiting classes will quit on you in large part. But uh, And then, you know, if you get some run stuff going a little bit or just if you show a commitment to the run, maybe you can hit some play action stuff over the top. The one guy in the run game, though, you got to get blocked is, is Jermaine Pratt. Pratt is uh is kind of what the the defense is built around at least uh in in philosophy as far as what they try to do try to run uh funnel run to him as much as possible Pratt is just a uh, a very good player who poses problems to uh to adequate offensive fronts and will be a uh, even larger challenge for Florida State to uh to deal with um outside of Pratt NC State possesses uh I don't know if I'd say prototypical size, but certainly it's an impressive unit when you look at the size of uh, of what they're able to put up front, and it's a a unit that's going to give Florida State problems. So I agree with you. Just because truth becomes boring doesn't mean it's not true anymore. Uh, Florida State's problems on offense center around uh, and and will always start with the offensive line. I think the. The problem that the the same faction of the fan base uh, starts to starts to have with that is when people maybe try to start to blame everything on the offensive line or, or a disproportionate amount. But it doesn't mean that uh, you, just because people get tired of the message doesn't mean that the message isn't true. And uh, and just because people are tired of hearing about offensive line doesn't mean that Florida State's offensive line, particularly this week is uh, is woefully inadequate when compared to what it's going to face. So, and yet there's hope. And yet there's hope because I got to tell you, NC State secondary has been a disaster the last two weeks. Hot garbage man, the last two weeks. Have you, have you seen these numbers the last two weeks? Uh, probably not to the extent you have, but yeah, I, I've got an idea as to where we're about to go with this. I mean, this is... Uh, I. I, I I had that game up on on, on the score app and, and was getting notifications when uh, when certain scores occurred, and man, there were a lot of scores in in NC State and Syracuse. Whew. Uh, Syracuse, yeah, they uh, their quarterbacks were twenty nine of forty one, so that's that's decent for uh, four hundred and thirty two yards, so over ten yards. An attempt on the uh, on the day. That's pretty solid, and seventy uh, percent completions. Edgar, that's now the interesting thing. There is that's like some short passes, but also some deep passes, and it doesn't seem like NC State secondary is having great communications. They 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 have they are willing to have some some lapses and some breakdowns, and maybe they'll get that figured out this week, and maybe they won't. But they. Uh, their tackling has been a little bit suspect, and they also have left some guys wide open. So it would be extremely helpful for Florida State, extremely, especially because I don't think they can really block. Uh, if NC State would be so kind as to not get all those issues fixed this week and would just leave a couple guys 
wide open. Because if Florida State gets a guy wide open, they definitely have the speed to take it to the house. And uh, that, that would be extremely good for uh, for them. La- uh, the, pre- the prior week, by the way, uh, Clemson – 380 yards passing on 45 attempts. So a little bit a little bit less. They, they definitely played Clemson back a little bit more. Um, and, and Clemson also uh, also carved them up pretty good. They uh, man, yeah, their secondary has has not been been great at all. Oh, and they gave up 100 rushing guards to uh, to, to Syracuse last week. 60 by the quarterback, which doesn't necessarily See them all that likely by FSU, but still, um, they they were a mess last week. It's almost like they had a, a hangover from their loss to Clemson, and that's something Florida State can't have. I wanted to ask you what happened there because they're they're five and zero. They go into their bowl week. Um, obviously, NC State has played Clemson particularly tough over the past couple of years. Is that a is that a team that just had aspirations of of grandeur, and and once they were reminded that they weren't the class of the league. Uh, just went up to Syracuse and and slept through a, or you know walked through a game. Uh, it's just interesting to look at a team. Uh, granted, they weren't playing great competition as we referenced earlier, uh, but a team that beat Virginia, that beat BC, kind of were fortunate perhaps or or didn't get a, a true test as to where they were with the uh, postponement of the West Virginia game earlier in the year. But a team that was still five and zero. Went in their bye week, lost to Clemson, and then gave up 51 points on the road to Syracuse. I think they had to have some hangover effect. And look, Syracuse has been playing well. They've been playing as a team. Um, by the way, after uh, really showing no real signs of improvement over the first couple of years, which I know people don't want to hear this, but it's really not smart to judge a team based on a sample set of just, you know, 15, 20 games. I really believe you need more than that. And I say that really for everybody because it's just hard to tell. There's so many factors and a lot of noise in the system, and you need to be able to kind of kind of grind out that variance to see the, the, the true level and the true, true trajectory of where a program's going under a certain staff. And so Dino Babers now seems to have things righted in Syracuse, and, and they're doing well. They're already bowl eligible uh, before Halloween, and they, they could win – God, they could win eight, nine games this year, which for Syracuse is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, I do think the NC State probably had a little bit of a hangover. And uh, now they have to get ready, and we think at least, uh, for a uh, for a little curveball at the quarterback position from FSU. Because so far, uh, in the open periods at least, DeAndre Francois is not throwing. He's just doing the read option drills, which uh, – Insert your own joke here. I'm like, oh man, maybe now he'll get it. Cleaning that up, definitely. Yeah, good. Mm Hmm. I don't know if I'd call it a a poorly kept secret or whatever else terminology you want to apply to it. By by all accounts, uh, I think it's a reasonable expectation to have that that James Blackman's going to be your quarterback, uh, your starting quarterback this weekend. So, well, I think we should probably have a a little bit of a conversation here as far as based off expectations, uh, based off what his introduction will mean to the offense as far as if we try to do anything differently uh, from a philosophical standpoint or if maybe the coaches feel more comfortable asking him to do things. And and, uh, I'm going to go ahead and be that horrible person that reminds everybody that, yes, James Blackman is probably more popular than, than DeAndre in the locker room, probably a more dynamic leader. But just because his teammates love him doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, you have a an adequate pair of tackles. Doesn't mean that your center is going to clean up some of the flaws that have uh, plagued him all year. It just means that you're going to have a kid that's perhaps, you know, uh, players going to be slightly more happy when things happen. And it's great to have people that you have an emotional buy-in. I just don't know that it necessarily remedies some of the the core problems that we've spent all year staying in people's ears about. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I, I is this the right time to make the move? I, it's tough to say. I mean, you're 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 playing the, the the toughest schedule stretch you have of the year, with the exception of Clemson. That's a very tough place to play at NC State. Now, I think from the other perspective of like, if you ask the team who they believe in more, I'm guessing they believe more in Blackman now, just after recent events. 
but yeah, it. I don't. I don't. I don't know that Blackman's going to be some major upgrade over Francois. I think he may be an upgrade in some areas. For instance, the the pass against Clemson that we saw him make. Look, he showed more mobility in five minutes than Francois has shown all year. Francois is moving around out there like like Peyton Manning post neck surgery, right? Like he like he doesn't look athletic at all anymore. It, it's he's like the most pocket of pocket quarterbacks, and I don't know if that's. I mean, I'm guessing it's mostly because of the knee injury, but still, that that's uh, that's tough. Um, I think that Blackman will run the ball more, and that doesn't necessarily mean like, hey, let's 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 you know run quarterback power up the middle with James Blackman. You got to be smart in how you do it. When when when, you, when grass flashes, you pull the ball and and you go. You know, if it doesn't, then then you give the ball. I think importantly here though is. You don't know if Francois is going to be around next year. I don't think he will because I don't think he fits the offense. And if I was him, I would transfer to somewhere that you know w- wants me to throw the ball a whole lot every game. And m- maybe that's like a, a Georgia State or something like that. You know, uh, I don't know. Or maybe I'd, I'd try the, the NFL to see if I can get drafted. Which, I mean, who knows? But I think it is important for Florida State to get actual like game reps for Blackman and to see what they have in him. They've been doing this at pretty much every other position. On, on the field, right? We've seen young D linemen play. We've seen some young linebackers play in the secondary. We've seen young receivers play. Uh, we've seen pretty much all the running backs play some. Multiple tight ends have played. And off, offensive line, not really by choice, but by injury, they, a whole lot of different guys have taken snaps this year. But quarterback, there have not been blowouts. And, and I think that was probably originally the plan is to get, to get Blackman some reps in some of these blowouts. You know, but they haven't had the blowouts, and they're not going to have blowouts, at least not ones in their favor, uh, for the rest of the year because the schedule they're playing is, is so tough. I think you need to be able to see him in a game to actually evaluate what he can do in a game because games are different than practice. And I'm not a guy that believes that what you do in the game is totally independent from practice. And I'm not a guy that believes that, you know, hey, like if you're a terrible practice player, you'll just turn it on in the game. But I do want to see how it goes because I'm guessing here that Francois is worse than worse in games than he is in practice. I don't think he screws up the zone read stuff in practice and, and, and all, all the read game stuff nearly as much as he does when, when, when the lights come on. Do you? I mean, like, there's no way. I don't think. I think that uh, I think that the expectation for Don DeAndre when making those at this point is exceptionally lower, uh, probably. Probably executes at a slightly higher level, but I'm, I've never seen anything to to make me think that you know he goes from from reading correctly uh, ninety to ninety five percent of the time, then all of a sudden jumps out on the field and is a um, you know worse than a a fifty fifty coin flip. It seems I I just a long winded way of saying that I think that's a fundamental struggle that DeAndre has, and I'm not sure uh, where he would be necessarily dictates all that much his ability to make uh, reads, particularly quicker in-game reads. In-play reads, let me put it that way. I'm not I'm not talking about pre-play, reading numbers, stuff like that, which he probably does at a slightly higher level in practice, but I've, I've never seen anything from him that makes me think he's proficient in in-play reads. So, you know, that, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, with Blackman, I think the biggest question is going to be some accuracy. Uh, at, at times in, in practice, I know he's been a little bit wild, but we'll see how he does in the game. Uh, he is going to need to be precise against NC State because NC State's a heavy zone team, uh, and, and they, they will give you the underneath ball. So you do need to throw the ball accurately to these guys. Now, look, DeAndre may be you know like may not be starting because he's injured, or they may just have decided to make a change. When you watch Coach Taggart's press conference on Monday, it didn't really seem like. He's like, yeah, if you don't if you don't practice, you uh, you're not going to play. He seemed kind of resigned, in my opinion, just reading the room that that Blackman was going to go. I think so. I, I think he's known that this is this is happening for a while, but I, I or at least at least since Saturday. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't say for a while. So, uh, yeah, you want to do predictions? Yeah, let's let's move on to the. Uh, Prediction part of the program here, bud. I will, I guess I'll start off first here. 
my heart certainly wants me to uh, to go in a different direction, but my my head honestly has a hard time seeing Florida State win this game. Uh, I think there may be moments where you get enthused about what you have uh, at quarterback, just a idea of a a new uh, introduction, at least new to this season. Uh, I think you may see some flashes and. There may be times where you wonder why you haven't seen more of one this year, but uh, unfortunately, I think uh, Florida State travels to Raleigh and, and loses a game somewhere in the 28 to 24 range. All right, I'm going to go a little bit bigger than that. I'm going to go NC State 31, Florida State 20. But look, that's not like we're, I don't think that's a blowout. We're predicting there is a chance for FSU to win. And uh, we'll have to see, you know what, you know what, uh, what, what will happen with that. So, uh, with that, we should probably talk about something that's very consistent and uh, and maybe a little more positive note. And that is resolution home loans. Uh, now is a great time to to buy a house. Got got a lot of the uh, the market slowing down, and uh, some sellers are dropping their prices. Uh, I know that because we are uh, we're looking right now as well. A lot of people are looking and uh, resolution home loans is the way to go with that. So give Chad and Shannon a call. It's a great NOLA-owned business. We know, hey, NOLAs have great fans. They want to support NOLA-owned businesses. They, they want to get great customer service as well, which is what they'll get with a resolution. So give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN, or go to the website, fsuhomeloans.com. That's fsuhomeloans.com, and uh, they'll know that we sent you. All right, Bud mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that uh, we wanted to uh, – all of these are kind of game previews. We don't vary too much from that, but did want to have a five, ten-minute conversation about Florida State's uh, interim athletic director and some of the comments that he's made. Uh, we'll give the Tallahassee Democrat credit for this. There's a very interesting article in today's paper where uh, Coburn gives some, some pretty honest and uh, insightful comments as to the – state of Florida State's financial situation and, and also kind of uh, compared to some of their surrounding peers. Yeah, uh, so here, here's the, the main comment that I want to discuss. And the article talks about, you know, the, the, the 4% uh, cut that they basically uh, Im- implemented across the board. This isn't new, by the way. Like, like we've, we've discussed this a little bit before and everybody was all up in arms. Oh, did they cut the recruiting budget? No, they didn't. That's just kind of r- like rumor mongering by people out there. But look, Florida State has always been a bit of like a, a Moneyball program, right? Like like more Oakland A's than New York Yankees. They don't have unlimited dollars. They have the, the most geographically isolated campus. And a large part of that is because if you drew, just drew a big circle around it, there's no fans living in, in the Gulf of Mexico, right? And they're in this panhandle, which is hard to get to. If you live in, in you know Miami Lauderdale, you're driving eight hours, man. If you're in Fort Myers, Naples, it's a solid six. And if you got kids and, and a wife in tow, you know you're not making that thing straight shot without a stop. So you're looking at, at six and a half, six hours and 45 minutes. Tampa, man, if you make it in four hours, you're you're you're, you're making good time. Orlando, it, depending on where you are, it's three and a half to four. That just makes it very hard to get fans to the stadium as opposed to you know, other places, which we've covered before, which have major, major population centers very close by. Like, let's say Tuscaloosa. You think Tuscaloosa is middle of nowhere. Man, Birmingham's like an hour up the road. Yeah, yeah. you're 65 minutes outside of Birmingham. It's, it's just a different, completely different situation. Even the uh, Omaha you're, you're has basically, more people around it within a two-and-a-half-hour radius. Yeah. You're basically uh, a massive state institution for the state of Florida who happens to be located in southwest Georgia. And not not perfect, but it's just a it's an interesting situation. And, and you mentioned there's not a whole lot of people in the Gulf of Mexico. There's really not a whole lot of people in southwest Georgia either. Uh, it's a it's just a very rural area. And uh, southwest Georgia certainly had roads, but like. Albany, Georgia, didn't really have a highway system until the uh, state of Georgia had a had a governor from that area in the late seventies. It's it's just a very remote uh, area that that's not easy to necessarily get around. And and like you said, it's a challenge for the vast majority of the population centers in the state. 
to to get up to game. So Florida State has some some challenges when it comes to game day attendance and uh, getting people there, but it's it's also has some more kind of generational challenges based off when it was founded, the uh, student body composition, all things that listeners of this podcast will be familiar with. Uh, the idea that maybe you know older established uh, families that either had uh, pre-existing relationships with UF or uh, elite institutions up and down the East Coast. You just don't have some of the um, some of the old line relationships that exist with with other schools, kind of throughout the Southeast and throughout the country. And you can't hashtag do something about that, <laughs> right? Like you can't just create this thing. You, you don't have a time machine that you can go back you know, 70 years and, and create a law school for Florida State back then or a medical school for them back then, right? You, you can't make it to where UF was the women's college and Florida State was not. You know, for, for decades, your graduates were women who didn't make any money relative to men. And then when you did go co-ed, your, your majors were, were kind of the, the, you know, not the hard sciences. They were the, the soft sciences and, and the liberal arts. And those people didn't make any money compared to the, the you know the the doctors and the engineers and, and whatnot, which are coming out of Florida and, and some of the other schools, so you're you're way behind the eight ball in in, in that regard. It's not a criticism; it's just a factual observation. Here's what Coburn said, though, in regard to you know how the money is. He said, "quote The bottom line is the Big Ten and SEC have 15 to 20 million per team a year more than we receive." I think you have to sit there and ask yourself the question, are we okay? Do we have enough? And the answer, I think, is yes. Will we have enough? Yes. Are we going to have as much as those guys? No. Never will, in my view, because we started off behind. I would have said way behind, by the way. He continues. And catching up at this point with the trends going on will be very difficult. And I believe the trends going on that he's referring to is the SEC and Big Ten timed their cable pack, like their, their cable offerings exactly right. And the ACC network is not going to get the kind of carriage and, and, and rights fees um, coming back to it that those two got. Number one, it's an inferior product, right? People don't care about ACC sports like they do the SEC. It's just they don't. They're not diehards for it. And the best way to tell that is, like, look at the visiting crowds in this league. Like, NC State fans don't show up in Tallahassee when their team comes to Tallahassee. And that's, one, that's an upper-tier program. In this conference, you know, a couple thousand of them come. You don't have, you know, twenty thousand come in the stadium, and another ten thousand stay outside the tailgate like you do in big time SEC venues. So it, it's just different, and I think that's an astute value, astute observation by Coburn. And they are going to have to be smart with 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 their with their money and be sure that they're really efficient with it, and they find sort of you know market inefficiencies to be able to compete, to to continue to be able to compete. At a high level. It also, by the way, if you want to ask, like, oh, is Willie Tagger going to get year two? Stop it. Of course. Is he going to get year three? Yes, of course. Because one thing he can't do is get into this, like, buyout, hire, buyout cycle. Florida State does not have the money to do that. They'll be patient because they have to be. You'll never have a Florida State insider go on and talk about, uh, fact that a $38 million buyout doesn't concern the university or something like that, that you may at, at other institutions. Uh, it's just a, it's a different game plan from which Florida State has to operate. And uh, you're absolutely right. The The timing of um, the Big Ten and the SEC, what they did was, was perfect. But to an extent, and you reference this, timing wouldn't have mattered. You, you could have had the ACC time this exactly right. And there's just not the broader institutional support, interest, or focus on collegiate athletics that exist for a lot of these schools. Florida State is is kind of an outlier there. Uh, one of the things that we mentioned about the uh, uh, women's uh, softball championship is that it's, a, it's an example of an Olympic sport that maybe uh, you would be able to feature on some programs like this that would get that would get traction with this fan base and, and maybe a couple of others. But for the most part, the institutions that comprise the, the ACC 
just don't have diehard fan bases that will turn on any sport at any time and cheer for the logo. So it's a great pairing of schools academically, and it's a it's been a very good conference for Florida State at times. But there's there's very real hesitations and, and limitations uh, when when projecting as to what the ultimate payouts from this conference are going to be. Absolutely, man. You're exactly right that about all of that. I mean, the, the, the timing and, and Coburn's right. But anyway, I, I, I'm not trying to be depressing here. I, I, I think that, that Florida State is fine. Like they're not going away anytime soon. But you know, it was just an interesting little little quote there. And I, I do think he's referring to to what what they're expected to get from the network. Like I think you have some people on message boards and probably some fans who think that okay, once they get the AC network rolling, that they're going to be on equal footing. No, if they get half per team of, of what the SEC and, and Big Ten get, they'll be doing backflips. Half from as far as the TV payout, you're yes. talking network. To, yeah, yeah, I agree. If you get fifty percent, that that's that's hallelujah. Yeah, oh yeah. And another thing, Florida State's fans should get uh, used to, and, and is not going away. Or these these neutral site games, they're just they're too lucrative. They pay out too much money, uh, and it is a chance for Florida State to go and pick up. Uh, three to five to six million dollars for a single game, and that's uh, when you're talking about fighting a deficit. That's something that I, I think you're going to see more and more, and just get uh, have in the back of your mind that that game one more times than not is probably going to be at a neutral site. Now, look, I, that's something I think they got to be careful about, though. I really do, uh, and, and and for this reason, right? With the new tax law, and this is going to really impact ticket sales. I think Florida State will see a big drop in ticket sales because of this about how it's not tax deductible anymore, you know, for like like entertainment expense. I think they're going to have, and people are going to look at this and they're going to say, man, what's the home schedule like next year, right? This is, how many years in a row has Florida State home games not been any good? Just think about this. So their 2016 schedule, right? Ole Miss was neutral. You had Charleston Southern, North Carolina, which you lost, Wake Forest, Clemson, which you lost, Boston College, which you won, UF. That was it. That was 2016. 2016 was not a real fun home year, right? I mean, I, I don't think so. 2017, I mean, God, you remember last year. Did they, How many games did they win at, at, at home? Uh, they beat Syracuse by three. And they beat they beat Louisiana Monroe, right? And oh, Delaware State. Don't forget that. So that's an, that's second year in a row, I think, where boosters have probably felt like, man, this this season ticket thing was not worth it for us at all. Like I did not get my money's worth. I did not have fun. Right? How many times did I leave just angry because the team played like crap, or angry because man, this home schedule just is not any good? Because the best game of the year was that neutral site game against Alabama. 2018, the team's still not any good. So that's the second year in a row you've had a bad product on the field. The home schedule actually is is not bad. I mean, you get Vatek, Clemson, and, and BC. And yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be like, eh, kind of eh about it. 2015, I'm just trying to remember here, what was your home schedule like? Texas State, USF. Remember that was like both those had like like weird rain going on at the beginning of the year and like like, like it was – it was not not real fun. The Miami game was was was, uh, was definitely fun um, to be able to beat those guys with, with, with Everett Colson. Louisville game was fun. NC State game was was, was fun there. So you know, you know what? Maybe maybe the home maybe the home schedule in 2015 was the last time that I think FSU fans probably really enjoyed their home slate because you felt like you're actually overcoming something because you just lost Jameis and all those guys and you're like, all right, this is kind of that ragtag bunch of leftovers who who didn't go pro. And then I look at the FSU 2019 schedule. Just pulling it up here. Boise and Jacksonville? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you do. You get Louisville, Miami, NC State, Syracuse as your home games. You get Boise and Jacksonville. Are you, are you are you buying tickets? How many people are buying tickets to this? So I, it's tough, man. Like you got to balance needing to get people in the stadium. 
the tax implications is an interesting thing. It's something that you and I have talked about privately for about four months now, and, and you bring up a great point. I still think Florida State's aggressively going to look to schedule those games, and it may be at the detriment of uh, of the home schedule or the uh, the current experience, but money's money, and when you get you get four to six million dollars for a game, I fully expect this institution to probably try to jump at that when when it's offered. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm just getting you know emails and tweets from people who who got champ, Champions Club tickets for a hundred bucks. This this last weekend. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest game on your schedule this year. Vitek, I guess, was bigger because the team was zero and zero, and there was a lot of hype on it. But that's tough, man. Like that that's an interesting thing here. I I, I don't know. I, you gotta you gotta strike the right balance, and you do need the money for sure. Unless four states can all of a sudden cultivate some mega boosters at at a thin air, or unless the average person is just going to start giving you know, like they do at our schools. And I, I don't think Florida State has that level of of enthusiasm from their fan base and really probably never has compared to other schools as far as like the the diehard levelness of the average fan. Florida State has the same level of diehard in terms of like diehard, diehard that other schools have. You know, like you got the you got the RV, your man caves, and a no man cave and all, all this stuff. And, and you know where you're going to be every game. But I don't think the average Florida State fan is nearly as diehard as like the the average, let's say Auburn fan. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think in certain places, there's no question where you're going to be on Saturday, right? It's not, you know, Hey, are you going to the game? It's Hey, what, what are we bringing to the tailgate? It's just different. And, and I think a lot of that is, is how hard it is to get to games. Yeah. And, and, and it's a, a cultural difference, you know, I mean, the, the, College football is certainly wildly popular in the state of Florida, but it doesn't necessarily have the deep cultural penetration that maybe it does in in uh, areas of the deep south. So I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate some of the things that are said uh, throughout the interview. We don't have time to kind of deep dive into all of it like uh, like we have parts of, uh, of the quote that we mentioned there. Certainly direct people to the Tallahassee uh, Democrat, Tallahassee.com. Uh, if they have an opportunity to read it in full, it's a it's a good article and a, a kind of an honest assessment of a lot of things surrounding uh, the athletic department. Absolutely. All right. Uh, with that, guys, we'd like five stars on iTunes if if you if you feel like we've earned it, and I very much appreciate that. And so we will uh, we'll talk to you next time.